We control the media. Get real. We do. Hey, everyone. This is Leon from Fiasco and Prologue Projects. On this week's Patreon-only episode of 5 to 4, Peter, Rhiannon, and Michael are setting aside their usual format and talking instead about Roe v. Wade, the movie. It's a movie that came out just this year. It's based, loosely, on the life of Dr. Bernard Nathanson, a prominent abortion provider who later became an anti-choice activist. The producers of Roe v. Wade have said that they set out to even-handedly tell the story behind the 1973 Supreme Court decision to legalize abortion. But, as you'll hear, the film plays more like a disjointed series of right-wing conspiracy theories. Variety called it dreadful, and even Catholic Review wrote that it's more ambitious and earnest than successful. This is 5 to 4, a podcast about how much the Supreme Court and this movie sucks. Welcome to 5 to 4, where we dissect and analyze the Supreme Court cases that have sent our country on a downward spiral like Jamie Kennedy's career. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm Peter. I'm here with Michael. Hey, everybody. And Rhiannon. Hello. Hello, and you're welcome. Yeah. I'm just going to say it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode is a very special one. Just for our premium Patreon subscribers, we're doing something totally new, which is a movie review. Mm -hmm. Now, you're not getting a total break from the Supreme Court aspect of this. This is a movie called Roe v. Wade, and it's about the Supreme Court case and the activists that fought on both sides or at least it it's ostensibly about that. In reality... That's a very favorable presentation of what happens in this movie. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Ostensibly, it's about the case, Roe versus Wade. But uh, really, it gives you so much more. Yeah. I mean, in reality, it is a conservative propaganda film. Right. Which aims to tell the secret true story of Roe v. Wade <laughs> about how the evil pro-abortion people fueled by murderous rage and greed, somehow convinced Supreme Court justices to side with them. Right. (laughs) So we basically just wanted to do this because it's fun. And this movie, we saw trailers for it and we were like, oh, shit, that looks stupid. That looks dumb (laughs) as hell. (laughs) I'm not sure in the end now, retrospectively, I would say it was fun. You actually will have a better time, I think, if you just watch the trailer, which gives you enough punch-in-the-face conservative psychosis that you get the vibe perfectly and you don't have to go through the torture of over two hours watching this uh, this dog shit. Yeah. But again, you know, it's just a dedication to our listeners. You're welcome for the service that we provide you. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, the producers of this movie are trying to sort of portray, like, the secret nefarious side of the Roe v. Wade decision They basically, to do that, make up a series of fictional conspiracies that have really no basis in reality. Nope. But we do want to say our goal here is not to fact check this film. Mm. Okay, this this (laughs) film is absolutely garbage propaganda. It deserves to be in the garbage bin. Okay, we're not here to debunk it using logic. We're here to make fun of it. That's right. (laughs) Our plan at first, we weren't sure how to do this, but. The best way we decided was basically to just walk you through it scene by scene because a lot happens in this movie, but at the same time, nothing really happens. Right. 
I will describe to you the entire plot of this movie right now. Mm. <laughs> a bunch of Jewish people who are pro-abortion <laughs> oh my God. plot to get abortion legal everywhere. Yes. And so they do Roe v. Wade. That's right. Despite yeah. the protests of Catholics and with the help of the Supreme Court, which is depicted as compromised in various <laughs> ways that don't really make any sense. It's so awful. That is the plot of this movie. That's it, people. And you're probably not going to follow exactly what's going on at any given time. I'm here to tell you that's okay. This movie <laughs> is insane to watch, difficult yes. to follow even for us. Yep. And we thought going through it scene by scene would sort of give you a sense of the chaos that we experienced (laughs) when we were watching it. Yes. This movie is chaos start to finish and telling you what the point of the movie is, much less deriving larger points out of this movie is basically humanly impossible. Yeah. So what we're left with here is just telling you what happened yes. <laughs> telling you what we were forced to witness in this right. movie and like we said this is an activist film it's a propaganda film and mm-hmm. we sort of knew even before the movie came out because the daily beast did some reporting on it particularly about how the producers made a conscious effort to like obscure the politics of the film yes. resulting in cast and crew walking out mid filming including the original director of the film. That's uh, right. And so the producer and leading man, Nick Loeb, ends up directing it himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the name Nick Loeb might not be familiar to you. So I'll just let you know up top. Like, this guy is a, is a fail son of American business. His paternal grandfather was a founder of the brokerage firm Loeb Roads and & Company. And his paternal grandmother was a Lehman as in Lehman Brothers. One of the uh, brothers. <laughs> I will also add that if you don't know Nick Loeb yet, after he gets an Oscar for this incredibly <laughs> powerful performance, <laughs> you, you will know then. I think it's worth noting that what he's really most known for, which is that he dated Sofia Vergara. Yes. And then got into a dispute. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because like she froze her embryos. Right. And he said he should like have control over them independently. And they got into like litigation over it. Yeah. Right. He sucks really bad. So it might be helpful because there is a lot of chaos coming up to walk through some of the basic characters here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are about, if I had to guess, four times as many characters in this film as there need to be. Yes. But we'll just give you some basics. So you got Nick Loeb, the producer and director, as Bernard Nathanson. Uh, Bernie, the abortion doctor. Yep. He played a big role in the pro-choice movement early on. Yeah. And then he, after Roe v. Wade, he had this big change of heart. And he's like, no, it's murder. Uh, he spent the rest of his life doing pro-life advocacy. Right. Yeah. Now, Bernie spends a big chunk of this movie hanging out with Larry Later, who's another pro-choice activist played by Jamie Kennedy. That's right. The one and only. Jamie Kennedy, if you don't know... A 90s MTV guy is the best way to understand him, right? That's he was right. on a yeah. prank show called the Jamie Kennedy Experiment. Oh, my God. In like the late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And now he is not famous, I think is the best way to describe it. And yeah, so he he's playing Larry later. And then there's just sort of a mishmash of other like pro-life people. There's a law professor 
played by Joey Lawrence from Blossom. Yes. There's Stacy Dash from Clueless playing a doctor who yep. is like a pro-life doctor. Neither of them advance the plot in any way. They're just sort of there. And then there are something like a dozen cameos from just an unbelievable list of like B-list CPAC speakers. Gorgeous. Tommy Lauren, Roger Stone, My Pillow Guy, Mike Lindell. <laughs> yep, he's there. And Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, <laughs> it's it's really, really <laughs> terrible. We'll address that one in a bit. How many GOP thugs got a paycheck off this movie? It doesn't make sense. Nick Loeb using that uh, Sofia Vergara alimony. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing we should mention is it should go without saying that offensive things are said and depicted in this film. Yep. So, you know, if you're bothered by some fairly graphic depictions of abortion and what can only be described as the most thinly disguised anti-Semitism <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen, then, you know, either brace yourselves or go listen to one of our other episodes, all of which are 10 out of 10, five stars. <laughs> so let's hop right in. The opening scene is this guy, Bernard, Bernie, in a 1984 interview uh, where he's being interviewed by some guy. And the interviewer is like, Asking him some hardball questions like, so were they babies or weren't they? This interview scene bookends the entire film, more or less. Like they return to it at the end. And I genuinely have no idea what the significance (laughs) is. I would have skipped over it in this recap, except that it's the opening scene of the film. Right, right. It's supposed to ground us in something. Yeah. And then it's the closing scene of the film, except then it's not. (laughs) Then then there's another scene after, (laughs) which we will talk about. Yeah. So then all of a sudden there's a narrator and it's him. Bernie, the abortion doctor. Right. And he's speaking over flashbacks to women's rights marches during the 60s and shit. And I think you're supposed to be getting the impression like women were asking for quite a bit these days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were they were crazy and they were out in the streets. Yeah. But backing up just a little bit, though. So we do get these opening scenes that basically set up like, okay, abortion doctor who is later going to regret what he did. Plus crazy, slutty women. But even before that, we have not discussed the disturbia of the opening credits to this film. (laughs) The list of producers of this movie made our own producer Rachel literally scream out laughing while the movie started. (laughs) There were enough names under producers to fill up the entire screen. Okay, so many producers of this movie. And I feel like it sets you up from the beginning so that you should be able to predict that this is going to be a movie that is going to try really hard to tell 17,000 separate nonsensical stories. Because look at the dozens of freaks who are producing this. Yeah. So you see the women's marches and then all of a sudden it says 1949 and it's a chess match between the abortionist doctor and his dad. Yes. (laughs) He's just making really bad chess moves and they're having like dialogue that I think is supposed to be thematic, but it's complete nonsense. Like everything the dad says, he says like you have to sacrifice for the greater good. And then like the abortion doctor makes another terrible chess move. (laughs) I think it's supposed to indicate that he's like learning something from his father yeah. And it, maybe his his father has like kind of commie Soviet vibes. Right. I really don't know. The acting is atrocious. He's in makeup that we all said at the same time, like, this looks like blackface almost. Right. Yes. And his dad never appears in the movie again. They don't hearken back to this scene at all. 
He's bad at chess is the takeaway here. (laughs) Yeah. And for listeners, Peter and Michael, they're chess players. And the immediate thing that they said was (laughs) in this scene was this is awful chess and that board does not make sense. (laughs) I think like the first move, he just moves his queen onto a square where like his dad just takes it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like just like gives up his most powerful piece for no reason. Right. And after every move his dad is saying something like chaos will reign. Uh, you're like and you're like, "Hmm, I don't know what I'm supposed to be taking away from." Anyway, next scene is he gives his wife 500 bucks for an abortion. Might be his girlfriend, I don't know. But this is like the very next scene. All of a sudden, he's got a pregnant significant other and he's giving right. her cash for an abortion and she dies. Yes. And he's like, I'm going to become a doctor so that no one has to go through this again. Uh-huh. Next scene, Betty Friedan. Oh, hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Betty Friedan barging into a men's only club and the staff is like trying to keep her out. Yeah. And it's sort of unclear if we're supposed to be empathizing with her or the staff. You know, she's doing like boss girl shit. <laughs> right. But like you look at the makers of the movie and you're like, wait, are we supposed to think this is cool or just like women being uppity? I don't I really don't know. Right. Narrator jumps in, starts talking about Planned Parenthood. And I think we should start talking about one of the big themes of this movie, which is to try to give incredibly nefarious themes to pro-choice, pro-abortion people, right? Like, it's not enough to say, oh, they don't think that this is murder, right? Right. You need to portray them as, like, having further evil plans and, like, abortion is sort of mixed up in it. And the two big motives they offer up and sort of switch back and forth between throughout the movie on a whim are one, eugenics, and two, money. Yeah. So in this yeah. scene, the narrator hops in to explain how Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist, which is not totally untrue. Sanger reportedly spoke to a women's group that had like some KKK affiliations. And so to depict this, they have Sanger speaking to a group in front of a burning cross. Right, right. <laughs> And she's talking about black people, basically wanting black people to stop having babies. Right. And I looked up the quotes that they have her say, and they're not Margaret Sanger's quotes. They're W.E.B. Du Bois quotes. Um, Now, W.E.B. Du Bois, they work together on this stuff. Now, the narrator explicitly says, like, she wanted black people wiped out. In reality, they were doing some weird eugenics shit for sure. But, like, the goal was, like, that the black community would benefit from being able to plan their parenthood. Right. And that is where you get the name of the organization. Right. But yeah, they literally say like she wanted no more black people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I wanted to make a point, Peter. Uh, They do this with the women characters in this film. You said that they presented Betty Friedan in the first scene in which uh, she appears in the movie as sort of, you know, barging into a men's only space. And you kind of get, because it's already like clearly uh, a conservative like propaganda movie, you clearly get that like you're not supposed to like Betty Friedan, but they're presenting it as if like the feminism isn't necessarily the problem, right? They're not saying that like women shouldn't be a part of these conversations, right? It's just that the evil women in the conversations are pro-abortion, pro-killing babies. Right, right. Right. We're not opposed to having women in the conversations. Just can you believe this bitch? Like Right, right, right. Exactly. (laughs) So Betty Friedan meets Larry Later, who is what the pro-life people call the father of abortion, big pro-choice advocate at the time played by Jamie Kennedy, 
who, from what I can tell, is not doing a Larry Later impression, but instead maybe 20 percent Larry Later and 80 percent just Jew, just Jewish guy impression. (laughs) It's awful. It is upsetting to watch. They also did his makeup to make him exceedingly goblin like like his ears. I had to look up Larry Later's ears to confirm that they weren't as pointy as what they gave Jamie Kennedy. Oh, they really God. pointed him up. <laughs> so then there's like there's also an ACLU guy meeting with them and Bernie, the abortion doctor. And they start talking about how they have to start a lawsuit to make abortion legal. This cuts to a rally. A lot of this movie is done with a rally in the background. Right. No one's ever really at a rally per se, but there's like a rally going on behind right. them. Right, right. <laughs> And Larry is saying things like, we can't go for a little bit of abortion. Like, we need abortion on demand, uh, which they say several times. And we've talked about before, like, yes, that is when you want abortions, like on demand, like when you want them. Not when somebody else wants them. (laughs) Next scene is Bernie's new girlfriend, who is so hot. So hot, guys. A dime. Yeah. Yeah. And. She thinks that he's cheating because he's doing so much like abortion stuff. This plot point never comes back up. Not no. once, not even a little bit. <laughs> I, we barely even see her again, right? Barely. Then they cut to a montage of New York legalizing abortion. And New York becomes like the place where people go for abortions, which is true. A lot, a lot of people travel to New York for abortions. A senator from New York reads a poem from the perspective of an unborn baby It's like, you know, I was going to be a little baby, but then you killed me. (laughs) At one point, he says, I want to see my mommy. Yeah. And he's crying and it's not moving at all. Um, It's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. A real line in this poem is, my heart beats so evenly. (laughs) That's not evocative or emotional at all. It's not. It's just like a description. I have hands. (laughs) And the poem ends with, today my mommy killed me. Uh, uh, okay so then we meet stacy dash yeah first black woman to graduate from harvard medical school she is definitely a main character which you can tell because she's in a lot of scenes and she has a lot Mm -hmm. of dialogue at the same time if you wanted to know what her story was and how she advanced the plot i i couldn't tell you because she didn't have one (laughs) and she didn't do that Yeah, she serves no narrative role Not at, at all. all. No. Uh, in, in fact, she's one of, I think, well, we'll get, we'll get to the second one, but she's one of multiple characters who serve no role other than to be someone who owns the libs, right? Yes. In right. conversation. Yeah. Right, right. That's, that's what she does. Mm-hmm. Right. The difference is that Stacey Dash is uh, a black woman and a doctor right. mouthing these pro-life talking points, of course. That's right. Which means that she is, in the truest sense of the word, a token uh, black woman. Absolutely. <laughs> token us yeah. black woman in this right. film. Right, uh, So when we first meet her, she's meeting a priest, another main character, at the National Right to Life Committee. And the priest says, you know, he wants to recruit her. Uh, and, and in order to do so, he, like, literally chases her across the city, like, into a subway. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Like, some really, like, predatory behavior. Yes. Rachel and I both were like, oh, my God, why is he chasing her into the subway? <laughs> <laughs> so so he's, like, trying to convince her. And she says, I won't be used for my color. I do what I do on principle, like Don Quixote. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just... I do what I do on principle like Don Quixote. You have to ask the question. If you're a film writer, 
And you haven't read Don Quixote. <laughs> Which it's very clear that the writers haven't. No. Do you just hope that he's a character that you'd want to emulate? Right, right. Don Quixote doesn't act on principle. It's all like an absurdist comedy. It's, I, right. it's very bizarre. Anyway, the whole, like, if you think Michael might be exaggerating <laughs> that she's a token, like, the whole point of this scene is to explain that she is a token. She was like, so you, you just want to use me because I'm black. And he was like, yes, you get it. Like, you're you're following me precisely. Yeah, I knew you were a sharp one. Yeah. Right. Absolutely no pauses between lines of dialogue, by the way, throughout this film. Right. It is just bang, 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 yeah. bang. I was trying to take notes, like, for the podcast, and you're just like, oh, shit, they're still talking. Like, there's no pause. Right. Yeah. There are no establishing shots. It's just... Yeah. Also... In this scene, they call the guy the abortion king. Mm-hmm. In the very next scene, they give him a totally different nickname, the scraper. Yeah. <laughs> Literally back-to-back scenes, two distinct nicknames introduced without a tie between them. Right. Right. And you know what? We all learn in middle school or whatever, right? Like that when you're writing, you should show, not tell. Like, you know, your teacher's saying like when mm-hmm. you're depicting mm-hmm. a story to an audience, you want to show them what happened. You're not telling them what happened. This movie is having none of that. This movie is tell, 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 tell. One thousand percent of the time you are being punched in the face with dialogue that is absolutely incomprehensible in terms of like conversation in terms of sentences that are said one after the other in response and and to form a conversation but also like even taken alone i would guess fully 70 percent of the phrases and sentences uttered in this movie don't make sense like by themselves (laughs) it's true Many times a character is sort of like melodramatically articulating an incredibly stupid anti-abortion talking point and then will literally like within their monologue quote like a random historical famous person yes. just in the middle yes. of their mm-hmm. spiel. And that's supposed to like really underscore and emphasize their message, I guess. So Dr. Stacey Dash is a really good example of someone with lines that do not make sense. But there's this other character played by Joey Lawrence with an airbrushed hairline. And it's supposed to be like some law professor who literally cannot stop dropping sick quotes into his monologues. He says like, any society that would give up a little liberty to gain a little security will deserve neither and lose both. Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> like, like, like he just direct quote and then yeah. says the name of the person who said the quote. It rules. Dr. Stacey Dash does this too. More than once. These people just quote somebody else. Joey Lawrence taking like the Michael Scott managerial approach yes. to being a law professor. Right. It's, yeah. it's, right. it's beautiful to see. <laughs> All right. Then we cut to St. Patrick's Cathedral and the narrator is like, Larry's strategy was to vilify Catholics. Catholics are the oppressed victims in this movie. Yes. It's Catholics first, then babies. (laughs) Right. Which is, it's a big theme of the movie. They claim that the pro-choicers were trying to portray Catholics as the enemy. But then, like, the entire pro-life side is Catholics. So I don't, like, aren't they enemies? (laughs) I didn't really get it. This is the scene where they call him the scraper. Narrator, who again is the abortion doctor, uh, Bernie, says he presided over 70,000 abortions total and made $20 million. I crunched some numbers here, guys. (laughs) So first of all, that's $285 per abortion. Now, in 1949, the going rate was 500, according to him. So I don't know how we're getting this. Also, he was a doctor for about 21 years before his position on abortion switched. He was only 
board certified as a gynecologist for half of that. But even (laughs) if you assume absolutely that he was doing abortions every single day of his entire 21 year career, Uh 70,000 abortions would be about nine per day. Every single day he was medically licensed. I'm going to chalk this one up into the unlikely category. (laughs) Now, he goes to London to learn about like a super abortion procedure from Milo Yiannopoulos. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who plays a... So first of all, this was filmed in like 2017 or so before the Milo Yiannopoulos pedophile scandal. Milo Yiannopoulos basically came out like supporting relationships between older men and like 17, 16 year old boys saying that it was like healthy and stuff. And this resulted in him being canceled, as we say. Right. (laughs) Now, again, this movie came out like a month ago. So like they might have filmed it before, but like I promise you these scenes are not essential. The whole point of this scene is like we figured out a way to do so many abortions, buddy. We can fit so many abortions in here. (laughs) <laughs> but he's in London so you have to picture it like Milo Yiannopoulos is doing this sort of like and as you see like the simplest little procedure like no more like, cues <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we put abortions on the express lane or whatever <laughs> it is preposterous okay so the next scene is they're looking for a plaintiff for Roe v. Wade right the pro-choice people are looking for a plaintiff yeah and they start talking about Norma McCorvey Jane Roe Right. Uh, And they're like, she's a drug addict and a lesbian. And everyone's like, perfect. (laughs) Perfect for us to manipulate. (laughs) Yes. Uh (laughs) And then there's these the young lawyers, Sarah and Linda. And the narrator's like, they couldn't get hired anywhere else. So Planned Parenthood (laughs) knew that they could control them. But like, this was like the 60s and they're female lawyers. Like, yes, they probably did have some trouble finding good work. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then they're like, yeah, we're calling her Jane Roe, which is meant to prevent people from knowing who she is and questioning her. And like, yes, her identity was kept secret to protect her. And seeing as this movie right off the bat calls her like a suicidal drug addict lesbian with no real basis, maybe that was a good move. You know, I feel like maybe that was the (laughs) the thing to do. Exactly. (laughs) The way they describe her is bad. The way they depict her is like even worse once she comes in. in Yeah, it's horrific. If you are listening to this and are like, what the fuck are they talking about? There's an interview in the 80s, and then there's a chess match, and then there's, uh, you know, they're at a rally, and then there's some other people on a subway, and then they're in London, and right. you can't figure out what's going on, and you're like, what's the actual story here? This is this is a blow-by-blow of the movie. There is no yeah. narrative. Right, right, there, exactly. There's none. There's, there's no cohesive narrative structure. There's no story. It's just a bunch of scenes slapped together. Right. There's no sort of temporal construction of like, you know, any sort of like linear events happening in a consecutive line. We are telling you what this movie is about, which is propaganda chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like an assault. (laughs) It really did. So Larry later goes to Bernie, the abortion doctor, and he's like, we got to make sure we convince people that life doesn't start at conception. And Bernie is like, but it might, you know, it might start a conception. And Larry's like, yeah. shut up, buddy. We're going to lie to these bastards. <laughs> and like, it's weird because Bernie, like they make him have all these doubts throughout the movie. But then later they they act like he never had doubts. It's, it's completely bizarre. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we, yeah. we meet Norma McCorvey in a pizza place and she's meeting the lawyers for Planned Parenthood. 
and she wants an abortion and they're like, I don't know where you can get them. And then the narrator hops in and is like, but they did know because one of them had an abortion in Mexico. And like what they're trying to do is like make it look like they're controlling this like sad addict, right, mm-hmm. who can't control her own life. They show that Norma has scars on her wrist from suicide attempts. Norma claims she was raped and the narrator jumps in to be like, but she wasn't. <laughs> Norma asks what happens during an abortion and she asks does the baby go back like back up into the womb what are you talking about Norma I this, this dialogue did not happen they want you to believe that she was manipulated no. to the point where like she literally doesn't know what an abortion is there's a scene where Norma has her baby and is crying and screaming they lied to me like in the hospital <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> This is a good place, I think, to talk about Norma McCorvey and how little she is in this movie when, like, obviously the case itself, Roe versus Wade, is centered on her and her experience in Texas seeking an abortion. And then, of course, like the subsequent culture wars on abortion on both sides featured Norma McCorvey extremely heavily, uh, you know, through through the mid 90s. And so the movie clearly doesn't know what to do with Norma McCorby. So she's very briefly in the movie, only in a couple of scenes. They portray her, like Peter said, as poor and stupid and slutty and crazy, you know, in that first scene with the lady lawyers. And then she gives birth and she screams, they lied to me. And then that's kind of it. Literally right after having the baby. Yeah. First words after the baby. They lied to me. Right. No one else yeah, was they in the room, lied by to the me. Way. <laughs> right, right. And so it's like so clear that like for the movie's purposes and for anti-choice propaganda, Norma McCorvey has to be a victim of like these villainous feminists over at Planned Parenthood. But at the same time, right. they don't like women at yeah. all. And 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 Christian white men have to be the real victims in this movie. So Norma also has to be like made out to be like this profoundly disturbed but also ultimately like insignificant blip in the whole story. And in addition, she's the victim being manipulated by these evil Planned Parenthood lawyers. Right. But just like a minute earlier, they told us those Planned Parenthood lawyers were like naive idiots exactly. who were being manipulated by other people. Right. It's right. all very conspiracy minded and incoherent. Yeah. Exactly. Every plot point has to have some implication of conspiracy and like manipulation. Like no matter how right. minor no matter how much of a reach it is, someone is always getting somehow manipulated by someone else. It's like it's endless. It, it doesn't matter yeah. who right. the person in the scene is like they're either the manipulator or the they're the manipulated in this movie. Right. right. The movie is like definitely sees itself as a hammer and everything is a nail. Right. Yeah. Everybody is a villain. Yeah. And, and I did want to add, you know, Norma McCorvey did make a false claim mm-hmm. that she was raped. But that's because in Texas you could get a legal abortion right. if you were raped right. at right. the time. Right. And she was trying to get a legal abortion. And so she said she was raped and it didn't work because there's no police documentation. And But again, that's like very different context and very different factually from what's presented in the movie, which just makes her look like weird and yeah. crazy. Right. You yeah. Know? yeah. So we cut to a Texas DA and he's talking <laughs> about the abortion case, which will become Roe v. Wade, but it's about to be in Texas court. The portrayal of him is that he's not taking this seriously enough, right? He's like, I, I could try this with my eyes mm-hmm. closed. No judge will let uh, abortion happen in Texas. 
Uh, and then he's like ranting about feminists and shit. But like, I also think he's supposed to be sort of a good guy. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's yeah. bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, at least physically, like this casting is on point. This is absolutely what a 1970s Dallas DA would look like. So mm-hmm. we're giving credit where it's due. Nice casting on this bloviating idiot as Texas DA. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to the Texas District Court, the federal court where the case is first being heard. The Planned Parenthood lawyers like a total moron who literally says the statute is so bad it has to be struck down and like that's her <laughs> argument one of the judges is sarah hughes uh-huh. now sarah hughes is the third woman ever to be on the federal bench the first in texas an incredibly accomplished person for the era right. that she was and she graduated law school in like 1922 uh, as a woman yeah. right. i think she battled with like homelessness i mean just an, an incredibly accomplished life. Uh, also, she is the person who swore in LBJ on Air Force One after JFK mm. uh, was shot. That's uh, her sort of biggest claim to fame. This is a person of like immense uh, acclaim and prestige. Mm-hmm. They right. show her as like completely in the bag. They don't give a motivation, but she literally winks at the Planned Parenthood attorney in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> From the bench. From the bench. She's on the, the bench, bench and she winks at them. It's wild. All right, let's uh let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with the introduction of the Supreme Court. Hey guys, thank you so much for supporting our Patreon. It means the world to us. If you're new here, welcome. You can find all the perks for your membership, including previous member-only episodes at patreon.com slash 54pod. And thanks again for being so cool. All right. So next scene is the Supreme Court Chief Justice Warren Berger, played by John Voigt. <laughs> They're having conversations about how there's only seven justices on the court at this time. And Nixon is trying to appoint the other two. He's talking to like Blackman, right? Isn't that who he's talking to? Yeah, he's talking to Blackman. We then cut to Fordham Law School, where Professor Joey Lawrence from Blossom, who they made to look like a young Stanley Tucci, (laughs) is absolutely schooling his own students with logic. Yeah, just doling out owns. I mentioned that (laughs) Stacey Dash is one of the owning the libs characters. This is the other one. Yeah. Every scene that he's in is him walking into a classroom angrily and some student saying, like, aren't abortions good? And he's like, you stupid piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) So just like spits on the ground and it's like unbelievable. Yeah. This this is the first of many scenes in his classroom where his students say some lib shit. And he's like, absolutely not. He's like, you oppose the Vietnam War, but not this. And some girls like, what about babies with birth defects? And he's like, to kill a child with birth defects is what the Nazis did to the Jews, which I think sort of undersells what the Nazis did to the Jews. Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. We might be whitewashing that yeah. a little bit. Um, and then he does this classic Facebook mom move where he's like, would you abort some stupid deaf German baby? And everyone's like, yeah, we would. And he's like, well, guess what, buddy? You just killed Beethoven. (laughs) And they're like, oh, shit. Fuck, dude. We didn't know. Would you abort an oddball Canadian guy uh, and his wife and his little brother? Well, guess what? You just aborted the entire lineup of Arcade Fire. (laughs) Oh, no. Enjoy living in a world without Neon Bible. 
Okay. Enjoy living in a world without the suburbs. The suburbs, man. That one hit especially hard for me in my early 20s. Right. You know, I think this is the part of the movie where I really, really started to feel my brain slowly turning to dust. So it cuts from Professor Joey Lawrence to the abortion doctor, Bernie. And he's like having this conversation with the board of the hospital that he's working at. And the board is trying to limit how many abortions he can do by imposing quotas. And he's like, no, you cannot intimidate me. I've seen the looks in the hallway that you give me. And you give me half portions in the cafeteria. (laughs) And then he says, I hear what you call me. You call me the abortion king and the scraper. He knows both nicknames. Mm -hmm. And so he tells Larry about the board at the hospital and the abortion limitations during a scene where both he and Larry and their wives are without any explanation having breakfast together in one of their homes. And there's this inexplicable, like completely random aside in the dialogue where they talk uh, for a good amount of time about cornflakes and how the cornflakes decrease your sex drive. And everyone is like, yeah, cool. That's normal. That's a good piece of information that feels lovely to talk about over breakfast. Over this breakfast that we're sharing together. For no reason. At one of our homes at 8 a.m. in the morning. Right. So Larry turns around and he leaks the story of the hospital obstruction, uh, the imposition of abortion quotas. He leaks that story to the press and, and the hospital eventually lifts the quotas. Yeah, this is your first taste, by the way, of Larry the Master Media. Can you imagine the headlines? The abortion king gets half portions in the cafeteria. A picture of a plate with just like a tiny dollar of potatoes. Half a jello cup. Yeah. And so Larry later has gotten the hospital to lift the quotas, to lift the limitations on abortions. And so then they're back in the living room and they start singing. That's the song. And there's... A whole song that goes, mm-hmm. there's a fortune in abortion. <laughs> Isn't it fucking, it's like from the mountains to the prairies, yeah. but it's yeah. with abortion. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and they do like multiple verses, right? Yes. Oh, it goes on and on. One of them is, Oh yeah. there's yeah. a gold mine in the sex line. <laughs> But they're all singing a song about how there's money in abortion, which, again, this is their big thing. Yeah. Right. We're we're doing it for the money. Right. Like it's eugenics (laughs) against black people, but also it's money. But it's the Jews. It's it's definitely money. Oh, totally. Right. Right. The next thing they do is start talking about how they were making up stats. And this is another big part of the media manipulation. So they put out in the press, there's a million illegal abortions a year. Ten thousand women have died in back alley abortion. One third of Catholics are for abortion. He's like, yeah, I made it up. I made that all up. And we just put it out in the media and they, and they put it out there. Yeah. And at this point, the Supreme Court takes the case. We have skipped yep. Court right. of Appeals entirely, guys. Fuck that. And the petition process. Right. They just get like a phone call, yeah. right? They, get, they get like a phone call. They're like, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Supreme Court's taking the case. Hello. This is Justice John Voigt. <laughs> We're taking your case, kid. So now... Oral arguments at the Supreme Court. One of the female Planned Parenthood lawyers turns to the other right before standing up and says, I'm in way over my head. And then she gets up and there's only seven justices still, which is a big part of their conspiracy theory. So keep track. Right. She makes her argument. The other lawyer makes his argument. 
He starts off with that joke, which we mentioned in our Roe v. Wade episode, where he starts off the argument with a comment that's like, there's an old joke, you know, if uh, when a man is arguing with two beautiful women, uh, they're going to get the last word. And the joke bombs. Right. And the whole point of the scene from the filmmaker's perspective is like, this guy sucks. He's not good at arguing. Right. If we had someone good, we might have won. Right. One weird part about this is that this is like an ADA that previously he was depicted as pretty sharp. So it, right. this is the first time you're learning he's a moron. Right. right. So it feels like they lost an oral argument. And then right. there's like people talking about how like this is a conspiracy. They weren't expert witnesses. What are you talking about? Do <laughs> like, you know how the Supreme Court works? <laughs> right. Right. And then, and here's where we get into the Supreme Court conspiracy. Now there's the initial conference, which justices have after oral argument and, and briefing and stuff, where they sort of talk about what their vote's going to be. And they make it seem like the initial vote was four to three in favor of Planned Parenthood, in favor of the pro-choice people. Now, the reality is, while we don't have records of these conferences, all sources point towards this being seven to oh. Right. Right. So this four three thing is almost certainly made up completely. Right. And the big theme of this is that Warren Berger, a.k.a. John Voigt, is asking for re-argument. He's like, we need this argued again. Because we need a full bench. We need to be all nine of us here. Right. There's a vote to re-argue among the justices, and it's six to one. And Douglas is the only one who doesn't want to do the re-argument. And what this movie claims is that Justice Douglas blackmails the rest of the court by trying to expose the plan for re-argument. Right. <laughs> But re-argument was a public thing. Like, there was a re-argument, and it happened in public. Right. But there's, like, a shady meeting in D.C. where, like, he's meeting with another justice, and, like, they're on a bench not facing each other, like, in spy movies. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's it's completely wild. This whole thing is made up. And also, like, you can't possibly track this conspiracy. No. He's black—what is he blackmailing them with? It doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense. I did not understand or know what he was blackmailing him with. Like, not just like, oh, the re-argument doesn't make sense as a blackmail point. Like, I didn't even know the re-argument was the substance of the blackmail. Right. Like, I, I guess, Peter, you went back and rewatched it. I went back and rewatched it. That is 100% correct. <laughs> yeah. Because I was trying to figure out what it was about. Right. At the point in the movie, I was like, I don't get it. Like, right. I don't, yeah. What is he threatening them with? I don't get what's in the envelope here. Right. Like, right. what is right. this? Exactly. It's completely bizarre. <laughs> Next scene. And this is where the Supreme Court conspiracy gets a little more elaborate. It's not just Justice Douglas doing blackmail, which this movie is blowing wide open, by the way. Now, Justice Potter Stewart's wife is talking about volunteering at Planned Parenthood, and she's doing it in front of other justices. And they're like, that's a major conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Sure, Clarence Thomas would be interested in hearing uh, about this major conflict of interest. From your wife's political activities. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is another big thing where Supreme Court justices are being unduly influenced by the women in their lives. Mm. This becomes like a huge theme in the latter portion of the movie. Right. So Stewart leaks the internal vote to Bob Woodward, who is played by Roger Stone. Another moment where all of us just screamed. An unbelievable moment yeah. came out of left field for me. Yeah. I was not prepared. However, I will say, I do know for a fact that the costumer quit this movie. <laughs> and the result is that Roger Stone is dressed exactly like Roger Stone dresses. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. It's so good. 
<laughs> and he's in like an old timey cab and it's like so perfect. His ridiculous yeah. style is like just perfect. Right. It's so good. Right. It's so good. But yeah, you might be wondering like, wait, what? He's leaking an internal vote. I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on in this scene. I And I rewatched this one, too. And I was just like, I don't I don't know what all they're trying to do is make the Supreme Court's machinations seem as shady as possible. That's right. Uh, and they just make up all sorts of shit. OK. Next scene is Planned Parenthood and Narrow fundraising at the Playboy Mansion. And they're like, yeah, I guess you could say it's hypocritical that we exploited women for the cause, but whatever. We're in this for the money, baby. The next scene is Larry and Bernie at the beach. This is, I think, my favorite scene in the movie. It's it's up there. They're yeah, talking to yeah. these absolute dimes. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys are ugly as shit. And somehow they have finagled themselves into talking to two of the most beautiful women you've ever seen in your life. And Larry says the words, we control the media. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they, and he starts telling them like, yeah, we made up all these statistics. We said that 60% of people support abortion. And one of the girls is like, but haven't other people done polling on this too? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah. And then they make this argument that it's self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Like you put the poll out there and then it becomes true. Like you put out in the news, right. 60% of people support abortion. And then the population's opinions will adjust to that percentage. Right. Just by hearing it. <laughs> so that subsequent polling will show the same stats that you just made up right. to yeah. begin with. It's, this is right. advanced science, yeah. guys. Yeah. Advanced is, psychology. Yep. If you yep. showed me, Re, and Michael a thing that was like one third of people oppose abortion, one of us would just stop supporting it. That's, <laughs> right. yeah. that's how that shit works. Yeah. Um, also, these women are wearing unbelievably 2017 bathing suits. Just a side com- <laughs> right. comment. Just like fully like Zara. Like it's, it's not, not there has been no attempt at all. Not even a little bit. There is an implication in this scene that these these women think everything these guys are saying is like incredibly sexy. They're like, oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. oh you yeah. two are like the smartest, <laughs> coolest, hottest guys we've ever met. Like, right. Uh-huh. That's so true. That's right. The next scene is another protest, Mother's Day protest. And Bernie is talking to Larry. And I don't, I don't remember what they're talking about. But the real takeaway from this scene is there is an unbelievably anti-Semitic scene where they're trying to show the referral network of abortion doctors. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this couple is like, we need an abortion. And they're going to their rabbi. And their rabbi is like just firing off like Yiddish. <laughs> He's like, Mashugana, we're going to do it. Like, you, you, you're going to get, we're going to get that baby out of there. Oi, oi, oi. And it's just like, I, you're like watching it like, no, like this can't be, right. this cannot this can't be. can't be happening. Yeah. We're fresh off the we control the media line. Yeah. And then they just hit you with this rabbi. They're like, right. we're doing this. Yeah. Yes. You thought we might lean away. Fully leaning in. Oh man, it is, it is rough. And then what I think is in a lot of ways, the climactic scene of the movie, which is a montage of back alley abortion networks, which they're portraying as extremely shady and, mm-hmm. and dangerous, of course. And there's a sting. There's a sting on the back alley abortionists. So these cops bust in and they're like, stop what you're doing. And the doctor is like, you'll never stop me. I love killing babies. <laughs> and the cop punches him mid procedure. Yeah. At the end of this scene, the cops 
stumble into like a dark closet and that closet is full of buckets, maybe a dozen buckets of baby parts. Yes. They're like shining the flashlight on him. It's like a, it's like that scene in seven where they find the guy who like, he made eat himself to death. They're like shining the flashlights and they're like, my God. Right. And then they show them like carrying it out of the hotel. (laughs) They carry it out bucket by bucket. Uh, yeah, bucket by bucket. <laughs> also, like Ree said earlier that this movie doesn't do subtext. And yeah. I just thought one of my favorite examples of that was in this montage where one of the abortion doctors is like running away, trying to like get away from the police when they like bust into the hotel room. Yeah, yeah. And one of the cops is like, he's running away. And then he like, <laughs> and then he like goes to a window and he tries to start opening a window. And another cop is like, He's trying to go out the window. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> unbelievable. Like how little they let you just like watch the movie. Even when they're showing you, they have yeah, to tell you. Incredible. They like they cannot help it. <laughs> so also the baby part buckets. This scene sort of leaked in the media initially. And Nick Loeb, the director yeah. and leading man and producer, was like, all this word of mouth is ridiculous. Like, you'll see what's in the movie when we release the movie. Like, sort of heavily implying that it wasn't true. <laughs> but no, there's there's yeah. a baby parts and bucket scene for sure. Big time. Right. right. So the next scene is Stacey Dash and her mom, played by Alveda King. The point of this scene is that they're watching Maud, and there's a scene on Maud where someone is like, abortion, it's like going to the dentist. And Ms. King, Stacey Dash's mom drops the food that she's holding in the most dramatic fashion I've ever seen. She chucks the entire dinner to the ground. (laughs) And the point of this scene is that Planned Parenthood bribed Hollywood people with like 10 grand or something, they say, to get that on television. Bribed the producers of Maud. Is there anything they won't do? (laughs) Can you imagine paying a television show money to uh, advertise your your message? (laughs) Unthinkable. (laughs) That's crazy. That's a crazy thought. So, back to the Supreme Court. Nixon (laughs) appoints Justice Powell and Rehnquist. Boom, it's on. Yeah. Rehnquist is essentially not depicted in this movie in any meaningful sense, by the way. But Lewis Powell, he's a big deal. So, now they're pretending. If you remember, they pretended the initial conference vote was four to three. So, they're saying, like, on re-argument, we might actually win this, right? Right. The initial vote was four to three. And now we're going to get two conservative justices and it's going to be five to four and we're going to win. If if there isn't some crazy conspiracy going on, they they should win, (laughs) as a matter of fact. There's no other explanation. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So then we're back to Stacey Dash immediately. And she's talking to the right to life people. And she says that if she went to Planned Parenthood, they would lynch her. Again, literally a token in like the most literal sense of the terminology. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, someone says separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. It's just, it's just such nonsense just thrown at you constantly. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's true that the Constitution does not literally say that church and state must be separated. Right. The separation of church and state is like a colloquial way of referring to the provisions of the First Amendment, which say that Congress shall not, right? Like Congress shall not right. establish uh, religion, right? right? Like everyone knows that it's not literally in the Constitution. Uh, this is a fake argument that like is meant to trick like eighth graders who have just learned about this stuff. That's right. So then we're back to the Supreme Court again, just one scene later. And Powell (laughs) is arguing with a black man in the halls of the Supreme Court. And Powell's like, if we remove the rights of the fetus, we're blowing this whole thing. 
By which I think he means like society. Like we're fucking it up. Yeah. Um, and Blackman is like, this isn't about right or wrong. <laughs> and then Powell owns him with logic. Powell is now the third character in this movie whose primary role is to own the libs with logic. Yeah. So we're back to National Right to Life Committee. <laughs> Young conservative Stanley Tucci, Joey Lawrence from Blossom, <laughs> says he wants to become guardian of all the unborn children in New York mm-hmm. so that they cannot be aborted. They don't revisit this. <laughs> right. It's pure chaos. Right. We now cut to Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman's dinner table. This is like the actual best scene in the movie. Right. Unintentionally. Yes. Like as a scene yeah. that like tells you about a character and communicates something happening. It's decently well done. Right. It's true. Because if you just watch the scene in isolation, you would take away the opposite of what they're going. <laughs> yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> Here's what we're talking about. So first of all, Tommy Laren is his daughter. And I knew she was in this movie. And so I was like, oh, I think that's her. When I tell you that that girl is unrecognizable without her show business makeup, unrecognizable. I I was like, is it her? I didn't know it was her until you told me. Yeah, me either. So he's like at his dinner table. Everyone at his table is a woman. It's like his daughter and his his wife and there's probably other ladies. (laughs) And he's at the dinner table. And the women in his life are just like, here's why I would like the right to choose, you know? Right. And this scene is meant to be him, like, having a conflict of interest. But in reality, it's just him hearing these, like, powerful stories from the women in his life. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And being like, wow. And being like, I should think about the impact of this on women. Right. (laughs) But, like, that's not what they want you to take away. What they want you to take away is, like, can you believe he's listening to these fucking broads? Right, right. Uh, See how the women in his life manipulated him into, you know, bringing a conflict of interest into this case. Right. And this is really the continuation of, like, the justice whose wife volunteers for Planned Parenthood. Right. And this is the final stage of the Supreme Court conspiracy, which is just, like... They were influenced by women. It's explicitly what the movie says. The next scene is Powell and Blackman arguing over when life begins at a diner. Um, And Powell is like, this is like Dred Scott. (laughs) No explanation, no sort of explicit connection or like what aspect of this is like Dred Scott? No, it's just this is like Dred Scott. Yeah. This movie is like if somebody just made like Facebook comments and replies into yes. the movie. Yes, that's, that's absolutely yes. right. Yeah. Then it's like six months later and we're at Supreme Court round two, baby. Yes. Um, by the way, despite the fact that like every now and then a date or something pops up on the screen, like I have no, I can't tell you how much time has passed between this and the initial chess scene <laughs> in like 1949 right. and how many times we bounced around yeah. and exactly what year we're in really. You're just eyeballing all of this. Right. Yeah. So- Second oral argument, the justices are like, aren't fetuses protected under the Constitution? And the lady lawyer is like, I hope not, because that would ruin my case. (laughs) (laughs) And a big part of this movie is that everyone is agreeing that life begins at conception, medically speaking. Right, right. That doctors know this. And the lawyer for the fetuses or whatever for Texas, he (laughs) says fetuses are, quote, the true silent minority. And then a piano starts playing and like there's a slow zoom. Yes. And he's starting to cry and he's like, who is counsel for these children? And then he's now fully crying and he's like, the state can't take a life without trial by jury. (laughs) We started laughing so hard. Where is the trial by jury for these babies? (laughs) 
This is, by the way, real. It's real. I'm paraphrasing some of these, but this argument is real. And this guy made the argument at the Supreme Court that <laughs> the state can't take life without trial by jury. And these fetuses are not getting a jury, a jury trial. trial. It's incredible. That's what's missing. It's That's what's missing from this process, Your Honor. We need a jury trial and then you can abort them. <laughs> Guilty. Right. I don't know what right. happened in the next scene right. because I was laughing so hard at this. We were like <laughs> dying laughing. Like the people versus the, a fetus. <laughs> we're seeking the death penalty, Your Honor. Defendant is remanded to prison for sentencing. <laughs> How do we speak on behalf of the fetus to the jury? <laughs> it was really a good moment of comedic release because you have been watching this movie for so goddamn long at this yes. point. This is not a short movie, folks over a hundred minutes of your life and then they hit you with fetuses should have a trial by jury? It's too much. It's really too much. Your brain's in a weird place and then it just hits you and you're like, oh God, like, come on. <laughs> All right. So there is then a little quick montage of everyone watching TV and Walter yeah. Cronkite is like, Abortion is legal. 7-2 decision. All that shit about like the Supreme Court politicking and conspiracies and shit like that just sort of goes away. And it, right. it's like they don't explain how we got to 7-2 when the initial vote was 4-3. Like what, what happened to those votes? It, it's very confusing. The initial vote was 4-3 to three, and that doesn't include Rehnquist or Powell. Right, right, right. They're not accounting for three votes. It's just yeah. it's bizarre. Anyway, then we cut to Professor Joey Lawrence, who is again owning students with logic. You can't stop. And he's like, the Roe decision allows women to have an abortion at any time, not just the first three months. And then he's like, Cronkite and the media lied about that, which is not true. Right. I read this decision like a few months ago. And then he says the Supreme Court allowed the Sierra Club to sue Walt Disney. And here's what he's talking about. In the 70s, there was a Sierra Club case yeah. where Justice, I think it was Douglas, Douglas, writes this dissent. And it's the case is about standing. Who can sue? Right. And Douglas basically says, look, we have these environmental cases. And it's almost like a thought experiment. Like, should someone be able to sue on behalf of trees, on behalf of lakes and whatever? Maybe we should broaden our perspective of standing. Right. So what the professor is saying is like, look, Supreme Court is allowing trees to sue <laughs> and saying that trees have standing, but fetuses don't. But here's the thing. That was a dissent. <laughs> the Supreme Court didn't allow right. Right. Trees to have standing. No. Right. Like the Sierra Club literally lost that case. I don't I, I was just like, I don't. Okay, and then Stacy Dash is confronting Bernie the doctor, and she's like, how do you do what you do in good conscience? And he's like, I gave my girlfriend an abortion once. <laughs> it's such a weird, like, non sequitur of an answer, too. I like it. It's like, where does it come from? This is the new hot girlfriend. Yes. Y yes. Yeah, this is the first time we are hearing about the second girlfriend getting an abortion after it's heavily implied that his first girlfriend dies from an abortion, right? Yeah, I think what he's trying to say is like, you think you can shake me? You think you can fucking yeah. get me uh -huh. off my game? I aborted my own child. <laughs> right. Boom. I'm a monster, <laughs> Stacey Dash. You can't stop me. <laughs> so despite that confidence, he walks straight into a large Catholic church <laughs> and then shouts out loud, I killed babies for the greater good. And he's yelling at God. He's he's doing the classic movie scene where you go into a church and you shout directly at God. Yes. Except he's in a huge Catholic church Presumably St. Patrick's, which is like the only church featured in the movie. And he's shouting, I killed babies out loud repeatedly. 
and no one's doing anything. No one knows the context. Right. No one knows he's an abortion doctor. Yeah. Also, he's a self-identified yeah. Jewish atheist. You know when you're a Jewish atheist, but secretly you know that Catholicism is the correct mm-hmm. religion, but you just won't admit it because right. it would be too gratifying for the Catholics? Yeah. And right. so you head on over to the largest Catholic church in New York City and you start screaming at God. Right. Right. This is right. what Catholics believe. They're like, uh-huh. when push comes to shove, they will go to God and they know that the Holy Trinity is real. <laughs> Next scene is he's doing an abortion, but this time. His, his little doctor assistant is like, we got these new ultrasound machines. You hear about this? You, we can see the baby in there. <laughs> right. yeah. And he's looking at the ultrasound and the baby's in the womb. And they, they start cutting to the baby in the womb. And this baby yes. is like six years old. This baby is like at its first t-ball game. Uh-huh. All right. This baby is old as shit. And then it's cutting to him. And there's a scene where his glasses are fogged up and he literally like clears his glasses. Like, oh, I, I can see now. <laughs> and he has a breakdown. And he starts crying mid procedure, right. <laughs> yeah. collapses. Yeah. How mad would you be if you're that chick? Oh, yeah. This guy's 70,000 abortions in. This kid's <laughs> about to graduate college if he waits any longer. And he's yelling, it's a person over and yeah. over and over. It's a person. <laughs> Through his tears. And the assistant is like, Doc, I need you to finish. <laughs> you, you all right here, buddy? This is just a regular. And what we're led to believe, right, is that on the 70,000th and first abortion, the difference between all of the abortions that he's done previously is that now they have ultrasound. This is like an advanced ultrasound. Right. But like he's seen ultrasounds before for sure. Right. right. And again, this is based on the work of Bernard Nathanson, who is dead. And so I think that this is his excuse, right? Right. He needs like yes. a specific right. reason. To let himself off the right. hook. Uh, before that, I had no right. idea what was happening in there. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And then we return to where we started the interview 1984 it's 12 years later and he's giving the interview that we started the movie with and the guy's like so wait when you take the baby out you didn't see anything and he's like no and the guy's like what and he's like yeah it's just like this lifeless thing you're not you don't really look at it and it's very confusing because at this point he's supposed to be reformed right and then it, it flashes back to him aborting his own kid again and then it shows the fetus that they have like reconstructed on the table. Right. And this looks exactly like a chopped up Barbie doll. <laughs> right. I am not exact. This looks nothing like a fetus. No. Nothing like a fetus. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the yeah. moment, like the pinnacle in a lot of ways of the film. This is the climax of the film. He is showing you his own aborted child. This thing looks fake as shit. It has joints. It's a little Bratz doll. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like supposed to be this powerful moment. And then he like does his full confession to the interviewer. And he's like, I knew all along that life exists at conception. I did 70,000 abortions and I knew the whole time. <laughs> no one can stop me. I lied to God and I kept on killing. The weird thing about this is like, A, they never like he has this thing where he's like, I knew the whole time. And it's like his confession. But the last scene was premised on him not knowing the whole time. Right. And realizing it through the ultrasound. Right. Right. And like. A huge chunk of this movie is predicated on the idea that this man was an unbelievably prolific liar right. Right. until 1974, after which he became the most honest man of all time. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're literally supposed to believe that he was lying about, like, everything in his life. Right. And then as soon as he switched teams to the good guys, all of a sudden he's he's been honest. Yeah. They then have a pretty big reveal as the credits start to roll. 
that he has converted to Catholicism. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is true. Dr. Bernard Nathanson converts to Catholicism. Really <laughs> they put a Mother Teresa quote on the screen. I don't think that like the fundamentalist Catholic types know that public perception of Mother Teresa has gone a little bit downhill since 1994, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I also think like, you know, they've done Ben Franklin. They've done (laughs) they've done Don Quixote. They're out of people. (laughs) There there are only so many references you can make. (laughs) They put up a Gandhi quote, too. That's right. Yeah. Then we start getting some statistics on the screen. And one of them is like Planned Parenthood made over one point six billion dollars last year. Uh, Planned Parenthood's a nonprofit, guys. So, right. right. <laughs> but our producer looked it up, and no, uh, they didn't have anywhere close to that much revenue. They had like two hundred seventy million in revenue. So, answer me this though: just because your revenue is two hundred seventy million dollars, that doesn't mean you can't profit. <laughs> when you put right. out the statistic that they made one point six billion dollars, then it will manifest itself as true. That is how statistics work. That's right. Next year, they are going to profit $1.6 billion. They then cut back to the fortune in abortion song. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then Margaret Sanger in front of the burning cross again, Mm. uh, doing the W.E.B. Du Bois quotes. And then they do a quick cut to a Jane Roe, Norma McCorvey interview from the mid 90s, where she's sort of saying, I was manipulated and they were lying to me. But Jane Roe, Norma McCorvey, right. as we've mentioned on this podcast, recanted. She recanted and mm-hmm. said that she was paid by pro-life interests to say the things that she said in the 80s and 90s right. and that she regrets doing it and that yeah. she was used. Right. And they don't mention that yes. at all. This happened before production started. Right. And one of like the big themes of this movie is that the pro-choice people are driven by, like, money and greed. And the only person in this story who we know for a fact was at one point bribed is Norma Corby, who was paid by pro-life interests to say what she said. Unbelievably dishonest. Right. And then the last thing is that they just flash across the screen in written text that the Supreme Court justices were influenced by family pressure. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the end of the movie. Right. And you are just left a broken shell of the person you once were. <laughs> it is like remarkable. <laughs> a, how poorly constructed of a film it is. Every component from the writing to the acting to the directing is just like transparently bad. They were lying to the people on set. Right. They were absolutely not fact checking a single goddamn thing in this movie. No. Wild. (laughs) The one thing I didn't see coming was the Supreme Court conspiracy theory angle that like that the court itself was corrupted. Right. And like the best they could come up with was like, yeah, they were hanging out with too many girls. And if you listen to women enough. You will be pro-choice. Right. The women that they know the best and trust the most and who are important to them <laughs> told them what abortion means to them. And it changed the way they think. Right. That is, that is their right. damning indictment. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely wild. The last thing I want to mention is that I read an interview the Daily Beast did with Jamie Kennedy, which if you're interested in um, the movie, you could you could check out. And they were sort of just like... Why did you do this, dude? Like, what are you like? What are you doing? And again, he was he was Larry later. Yeah. The we control the media guy. Um, Yeah. And Jamie Kennedy was like, look, man, like I'm an actor. 
People want to tell stories and I insert myself in the role, just like sort of distancing himself from it. And I would have appreciated it if Jamie Kennedy was like, dude, I've been doing nightclub appearances for $2,000 a pop for 15 years. Like, (laughs) You have to understand the situation that I Uh I was in before this movie came along. But instead he was like, I'm an actor. I Right. Same with Stacey Dash, who is like obviously sort of more outspokenly conservative and probably hopped on to do the yeah, conservative yeah, yeah, for sure. thing. She wasn't like fooled by yeah. this will be a both sides movie or whatever. But same, right? Stacey Dash, Joey Lawrence, these are people in need of a paycheck and a paycheck mm-hmm. of some kind is what this movie gave them. Yeah. The last thing that I remember seeing Stacey Dash in was Clueless. And that was 25 years ago. 25 years of not acting in anything. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not like riding a bike. You know, you got to really hone that craft. Right. She sucks, dude. She was awful. <laughs> Overall, Jamie Kennedy is not terrible when you could like sort of look at the people around him. He's like one of he's not good, but there are people doing a much worse job than him. Loeb is awful. Nick Loeb is atrocious. And the fact that he cast himself as the leading man here is fucking hilarious. Right. Just a huge narcissistic piece of shit. And sort of remarkable in a way that they couldn't come up with like a more coherent thesis than what they put together, right? Mm-hmm. Like start from the beginning and like try to tell me why you think Roe v. Wade is like something nefarious <laughs> was happening, right? It's like they never decided what that was. And that's right. the movie you see, right? Yeah. There's so many producers involved and maybe that's part of it that like everyone has their own theory about what exactly happened and whatever. But the result is just like this mishmash of like, money and godlessness and feminism and Supreme Court backroom dealings. <laughs> right. It's literally about too many people, right? It can't decide if abortion doctors are the problem or women are the problem or Judaism is the problem. Right. It can't stop identifying problems and therefore right. can't be coherent. The extent to which Catholics are the victim in this movie cannot be overstated. Like, they don't do a lot to explain why they think abortion is murder, but they do do a lot to explain why they think Catholics are being disparaged in the media by the pro-choice people. That's right. And maybe maybe this is like what really I have not been able to articulate about the movie. Rather than having coherent characters, especially on the pro-life side, they have like five different characters. All they do is come in and do some exposition and then we're on to the next scene. Yeah. That's it. It's extremely bizarre, but like none of these characters are fleshed out. There's a priest. Don't know the slightest thing about him. Stacey Dash's character, aside from being a black doctor who's pro-life, we don't know anything else about her. Right. Right. The Joey Lawrence character, he's a professor at Fordham who does some pro-life stuff. We don't know anything else about him. Nothing about their lives, about their motives. Somebody once described like Ayn Rand to me as like a shitty story with like a boring political like manifesto in the middle of it yeah right this is this this movie is kind of like if you just have the diatribe right Right. and nothing else and maybe like you try to like pretend like there's a story in there but it's really just a facebook comment section as a movie yeah this movie has sort of the trappings of a so bad it's funny but it's just so fucking dour and aimless there are scenes when we were laughing our asses off but there were periods you know i will also say that i rented this movie on youtube and youtube has comments just like they do on a regular video Mm -hmm. and every comment was someone being like crazy to see this never before uncovered story (laughs) i have learned a lot (laughs) this can't 
<laughs> that was the consensus of the in the YouTube comments. Yeah, there's something so sort of disturbingly like anti-intellectual about the movie. And we've said this, that it, like the movie is just made up of the dumbest anti-choice pro-life talking points. And yet, you know that it's a movie made for an audience that is just primed for that right. kind of rhetoric, right? And so if you go online, if you go on like Amazon and IMDb and look at the reviews, there's a bunch of people being like, I'm so glad that finally these facts are being shown yeah, to yeah. the American people. And this is a gorgeous story that everybody needs to know. And so there is something there that we talk a lot about on the podcast, which is like a kind of central to conservative psychology. And it's so hard to articulate because of how dog shit stupid the movie was. Yeah, this isn't a new insight, but like a lot of conservative uh, discourse now is like sort of so insular that like if you're not plugged into it it all sounds like nonsense yes they like reference all these grievances that you don't understand and they use all these terms and you don't know what the fuck they're talking about but they're talking to a specific audience who like understands these grievances right they understand what you right what you mean right. when you like invoke certain things people know oh you're we talking about abortion and blah 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 and this is like written in that language yeah. and it's written for people who consume news in this way. And that it's not necessarily that they have a coherent ideology beyond like just pure reaction, right. but it's like they consume things in like these sort of mishmash of talking points. This is like a fucking fire hose of them. You know, the most I can decipher from something like this is that what they're looking for is just the intellectual equivalent of like a pat on the head. Over and over again, like you are correct. And everything That's you thought right. about these people and their awful motives, it's all true. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to completely understand it. All you need to know is like, I promise you they are bad and it was shady. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to know exactly yeah. what the Supreme Court conspiracy was. It doesn't matter. You just need to know right. that something shady went on. Now, you know, right. and you are right to doubt their right. motives. And right. that's what like this movie feels like is yeah. just reassurance for people who think something went wrong here. How could this have happened? Right. We're going to explain how. And it's how evil people do an evil shit. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that's all we can say about this. It was a harrowing experience for all of us. You're welcome, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we bit the bullet <laughs> and we did it for you. So we hope you appreciate it. <laughs> At first, I was going to be like, oh, well, we'll do this again in the future. But I need a few months. I need some time to recover. Right. Mm. <laughs> this is going to be a series. Yeah, I'm not ready for the next one. <laughs> I'm not sure that I'll ever be ready. Yeah. Going back to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> next week, Jones v. Mississippi. Case from just a couple of weeks ago about juvenile life without parole. We're going to talk a little bit about how the criminal punishment system has evolved to protect children and then endanger them again, uh, repeatedly, time and again. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter, at 54pod, Patreon. You're already a subscriber. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week. 5 to 4 is presented by Prologue Projects. This episode was produced by Rachel Ward with editorial support from Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY, and our theme song is by Spatial Relations. Mm -hmm.